listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening today. So today we're doing a little bit of a different episode. I'm here with Yancey Arrington, our teaching pastor. Hey, Ryan. And uh, this is an opportunity just to get to know Yancey. So I have a whole list of questions. We're going to talk about some church stuff and some personal stuff. So sure. you ready for this? Yeah, I am. I think so. All right, let's jump in. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll first start off with some questions about being a pastor. You've been at Clear Creek for how many years now? Uh, I believe it's uh, 23 years this June, start of June. Actually, we, we moved down here June the 1st on our two-year anniversary. That's how I remember all the stuff. And I think Mark would say that technically I started uh, the next week, like on the on the 7th or the 8th, whatever that whatever that Monday was. So, uh, yeah, 23 years awesome. this, this June. Yeah, congrats. All Thank right. Thank you. Thanks, man. What's the hardest thing about being a pastor? <laughs> Just jump right into that one. Just jumping in, man. Uh, the hardest thing about it? I don't know if there's, uh, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of hard things. Let me answer it that way. Uh, the things that come to my head, and I know that you had sent me these questions earlier, some of them, so I could prepare. But I thought, you know what? Let's just do this right off the cuff so I could think just on the fly, which may not now turn to be a very good strategy. Uh, I think some of the hardest things are is that you can never stop being a pastor. You can never turn off your brain. At least I can't. I can't turn off from you know wanting to shepherd our church in the way that God's gifted me to do that. I think that's probably true for all of our uh, staffers, to be honest with you, not even just our elders. Um, I, I think it's hard when people, uh, for like the role that I have, I think it's hard if people misunderstand you. Uh, and sometimes I contribute really easily to that if I don't say something clearly or articulate that in a way that's understandable, that can people can misunderstand it. And uh, I think it's, so it's hard if, if people feel upset because of something that you've done. Uh, or something you didn't do that they thought you did. And so you've, you've got to be able to, to um, help move people through some of their emotions about how they feel about things. I think that's hard. Um, but probably, as, you know, as far as the, the toughest thing is, is that, again, I, I, the more I think about this question, is that you can never turn stuff off. Like, I'm never not a pastor. I'm always a pastor. Like, I, you know, a lot of guys work, uh, guys and gals work nine to five, and then they, they do whatever they want to, and they're not putting on the hat of uh, whatever the roles that they have. And that may not be true for everybody, but it's definitely not true of, of a pastor. You're always a pastor and um, you always feel the burden for your people. And that's a good thing, but it's a hard thing. So, hmm. Which one of your favorite things about being a pastor? One of my favorite things about being a pastor? Um, I think one of my favorite things about being a pastor is that I get to spend the bulk of my time uh, helping people grow in Jesus. That's my favorite thing. Um, it's my favorite thing ever. I mean, I love seeing people grow. Uh, I love seeing people come to Jesus and I love seeing people grow in Jesus. And that's my favorite thing ever. And so the, my favorite thing about being a pastor is that I get to be uh, I get to have my time during the week freed up to just focus on that. Again, using the gifts and talents and abilities that God's given me. So uh, everyone has that role to play. Everybody does. But my role as a pastor allows me to have like, that's my vocation. That's my my paid job, so to speak, is uh, I get to do this full time. Uh, the, the hard part is, is that full time sometimes feels like it's 24 seven. So there's, there's times I think pastors need breaks. They don't realize that they do, but, uh, 
but overall, it's really a, a more of a blessing than a burden. But it's a little bit of both. But it's definitely a blessing. So that's my that's my favorite part about being a pastor: seeing other people grow and 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 knowing that uh, God's allowing me to be a part of that. I mean, that's it doesn't get much better than that. People will tell you, you know, when you do something like when I preach, whether I, you know, they'll, they'll try to encourage me, like, "Hey, good job" or whatever. And I appreciate that, though it doesn't carry much weight. To me, not because I don't feel like those people are sincere. I think they are. It's just they're also very nice. We, you know, we have people are nice and they want to say things to you. <laughs> what I really get blown away by is when people tell me exactly what God's doing in their life as a result of uh, either what I've done or what Clear, more more importantly, what Clear Creek's done. Where they're like, "Here's exactly the tangible ways I've grown in the last six weeks with Jesus, and here's what he's." You know, I had a lady. <clears throat> A little little vignette here. I was walking my dog, which I do uh, regularly throughout the week, and uh, this lady pulls up. At the, she sees me, pulls her car over, rolls down her window. She's like, "Yancy, you don't know me. I attend Clear Creek, and uh, man, I got something going on in my life. And would you pray uh, for me about it?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." And she's like, "I'm so sorry I've interrupted you. I know that you were just. Hey, I've got my headphones on, and I'm, you know." kind of ratted out uh, in a t-shirt and shorts with my dog. And I'm like, no, I don't care. It's great. And and so she shares this with me. And and then, uh, you know, I just encourage her to, you know, plug in and, and follow Jesus and, you know. And then I, I, not, but this was a couple of, maybe a month or two ago, but maybe two weeks later, two weeks from today, uh, I'm walking my dog Griffin and uh, that lady sees me again. I don't notice her. I just see this car pull on the other side of the road, turns all the way around, pulls up, rolls the window down and it's her. She's like, you remember me? I'm like, absolutely. And she's like, I want you to know. And she starts kind of detailing me while cars are approaching from the road, you know, her, uh, she's got her window down and she's telling me all the things that God's been doing or doing in her life. And she, she ends up by saying, I just want you to know, I love Jesus. And I'm so grateful for, you know, for you guys. And, and that just made my whole month. I mean, that's, that's the joy of of being a pastor is to see the Lord work in people's lives and you get to play a small part in it. So I know it's a long-winded answer with a story in there, but man, if people can stop me anytime they want to on the road, if they're going to tell me what how God's worked in their life, that's that to me is my payday. That's that's what I love. Yeah. Especially those those times where someone shares something that you feel like, wow, that yeah, I may have said that. But that, that it's clearly not something because I said it. it was really because God's working in their heart in this like amazing way that I I can't even even in my brokenness try to take credit for that. You're just like amazed that you get to be a part of that. You know that's so true. You know people think uh, I've had people come up to me like man you because know, my role is the teaching pastor. So one of the primary pulpit pastors they think uh, they'll say to me some will like man you must really love what you do because you get to see God work through, uh, you know, you, you change a lot of people's lives and I have to remind them like, I ain't changing anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm just me. In fact, I probably have a very low estimation of my role in all this. And I don't have, there's no probably I do. And so I will have people come up and tell, and I'm sure this happens to you, Ryan, as a campus pastor. And I'm sure it happens to many of our ministry leaders, men and women. But when it happens to me, I, there's just no, there's nothing I can claim about that. There's 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 nothing I can say. Yeah, you know, I really did a great job because I don't. I promise you, I don't feel that way. I'm like, I'm just playing my role, uh, and I've lived long enough and done ministry at Clear Creek for 23 years, and was I did ministry before that, uh, before I even got here, where I learned early on. There are times where I felt like I preached just my socks off, and I didn't see any 
work of the spirit. I'm sure that there was, I just didn't see it. And then there's times I felt like I, you know, I can barely put two sentences together and God's working in people in ways that I can see very tangibly. So that, that I've learned early on, this is a whole, this is completely and utterly about the work of the spirit. This is God's sovereign way that he works through people. Uh, I really am just an instrument uh, in God's hands. And I don't, I, uh, I love to see the results of what God's doing, but I'm, I'm just playing a role. I mean, I'm just, I really am. So uh, I'm, I'm overjoyed by it all. But really, just I celebrate the Lord's work in that, and because uh, I've seen God do incredible things, and I was nowhere in the equation, and I was still blown away nonetheless. I mean, I just—it's a win, it's a win, it's a win. Whoever is the person that God uses, or the people God uses, and usually it's not one; it's an amalgam. It's a—it's a combination of all these kinds of people, and so I'm just one person on the team. But with that being said, I'm incredibly grateful for the last 23 years getting to play the role that I did. I—I I had people tell me. I mean, I was 25 years old when Bruce called me. I'm 25, and um, I'm I'm. That's pretty young, I would think. And uh, I think by the time I turned 26, I finally came to Clear Creek. And uh, so uh, June 1998 is when I got here. And uh, I mean, I got to be the teaching pastor of this up and coming congregation. And uh, this guy named Bruce, who was 10 years older than I was, uh, so. I'm 26, he's 36. He gave me the keys as a 26-year-old kid, really, to go verse by verse and start preaching through God's word and start our Wednesday night service, which was at that time really our worship service. And so he took a flyer on me and I'm grateful that he did, but I, it's, it's been a joy. Uh, overall, it's been a great joy and a blessing that I don't deserve any of it. Yeah, that's great. All right, so you've preached hundreds, probably over thousands of sermons in yeah. those 23 years. And then even you had some preaching years even before yeah. that. Yeah. Um, what's the funniest thing that's happened while you were preaching that you can remember? I, you know, I saw that question on the, uh, the pre-questions that you gave me. I don't even know if I could think of the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. I, I mean, I've, I've said things, I'm sure that I've had verbal gaffes where I said something that just came out funny. I remember uh, not too long ago, a guy's phone rang uh, actually it was a lady, her phone rang and she's just talking on the front row. Like it's no big deal. And, uh, I mean, just oblivious, oblivious, like having a real conversation. Like, Hey dad, how's it going? Yeah. You know, I'm here just listening to Yancey preach and blah. And I almost stopped and just said, Hey, tell him hi. Tell him I said, hi, tell him I said, hi. And I hope to see him at service one day. And just instead of getting kind of irritated by it, I just thought it was funny. I thought it was funny how she was just oblivious to the whole thing. And I'm, I'm sometimes, and the people around her, you know, our fellow members of Clear Creek and congregants, they're kind of in shock. And they're like, what? And uh, nope, just kept going on. And then she just finished her conversation and ended it. And uh, so I, I I wasn't really even that upset because of just how how flagrant a violation it was <laughs> thinking of like it was, in, you know, that was a foul. And uh, I just kind of admired the fact that she just kept going on. And so uh, I, th- I thought that was funny. Um, but I'm, I'm sure I've said a bunch of things where I, uh, I just I turned words around. Thankfully, you know, they have those kind of videos where pastors say <laughs> things that they're embarrassed forever and they've recorded on video and you've seen some and I've seen some. Fortunately, I haven't done any of those up to this point because we video all the stuff anyhow. So, um, but no, that's, that's, that's one of the funnier moments. Uh, that's one of the, one of the funnier moments of, of something that's happened. 
Is there anything besides like a tongue-tied moment that you've said where you immediately regret it? Like, oh, I should not have said that. Yeah, every Sunday. Every Sunday is yeah. like that. No. Um, I mean, you don't have to repeat it right now since, I mean, if you didn't want to say it up then, you probably don't <gasps> no, want to I'll say No, I'll tell it. you one. <clears throat> and uh, I think people should should know that whenever I, I mean, I, I feel like I hold myself to a pretty tough standard uh, when, I, when I preach because I'm pretty hard on myself as well. Uh, not to mention anyone else that wants to give me, a, a, you know, their their two cents about what, what I've said or how I've said it. But well, there was one time I was making this uh, comparison about how how something. I was just kind of saying, imagine the congregation using their blah 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 blah, and then I tried to compare it like we we we, we it was going to be this great competition, and it turned out to be just a, a horrible competition. And so on the fly, I just said, you know, it went from being like the Super Bowl to the Special Olympics. And, and everyone laughed and all this stuff, and I never heard anything about it. But I mean, I tell you, I came off of that, and I was so upset that I'd said something. Like, now, people, many people know I have a special needs son. So, you know, and some might go, oh, you get a pass, you know, you got an autistic kid, da, da, da. No, I felt so badly uh, after that because I thought, I didn't need to say that. I mean, I, I mean everyone got in my picture, but it, I felt like I was... I was I wasn't trying to make fun of a group of people, but I used them to make fun. And I felt so bad about that, that um, the next, that Monday, there were people coming into the office and I was apologizing to them. Like, I want you to know, I'm so sorry I said that. I think I sent out a note. Uh, I think I posted something on social media. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I felt so, and it, you know, not one person in our church said something to me about it. And so I'm assuming they were just being nice and, and hopefully giving me the benefit of the doubt and thought, ah, he was just trying to compare some stuff. But uh, I, that was one of those moments where I felt absolutely horrible. Now, uh, and wanted to correct it, you know, and I think, oh, I know exactly what I did. I think the next Sunday I went, I got back up because I got to preach. I think it was back to back or pretty close. And I said, yeah, y'all, I said something last time I was up here and I, I shouldn't have said that. That was just not, you know, and I don't have the people like, what did you say? <laughs> you know? But um, that was one moment that has been, uh, and I'm, I still kick myself. I mean, just even thinking about it upsets me a little bit just because, um, you know, I, I think one of the questions in there is what's your greatest fear uh, but I'll tell you my greatest fear of preaching, my greatest fear of preaching, and this ties closely into it, is to say something that doesn't uh, represent Christ or his kingdom. Uh, so if I say something in the pulpit that, first of all, if it's inaccurate and you know it's just wrong, there's something that I'm wired for that, that, would, that would, that's hard for me to get over. Like I would want to correct that because I really, it's not so much pride myself, but I feel the burden of representing, you know, James talks about not everyone should be a teacher. You'll incur a stricter judgment. And there's a reason for that. And so I feel like when I get up there and I open up the Bible, I want to teach God's word like I believe it's to be taught, like it, this is true and I'm trying to be clear with this. So like my greatest fear is to do it in a way that's unclear or that I'm just wrong or with the with the Olympics remark, I've, I've trivialized it. And those are things where I have a hard time. Those are my greatest fears. I, I did one time where I felt like I, I, I preached um, Genesis talking about Adam and Eve and I don't mind humor, obviously. I, I use it. I think it's a, a one of the gifts God gives me to use to preach. But there was a time where I preached Adam and Eve and I was just so jokey with some stuff that I felt like at the, when I finished the sermon, I, I had trivialized the text and you can't do that. I mean, I can't do that. No one should do that. And I felt like I'd done that. And so I just fixed it the next service. But um, those, those things are the things where 
um, those are, I know you didn't ask it, but I'm just going to jump ahead. Those are things that I want to always avoid. And those are things I have a hard time getting over. I mean, I got to preach the gospel to myself because I feel very depressed when I flub it like that. And it makes me not want to preach. I feel so badly because I feel like I've let God down. I feel like I've let Clear Creek, uh, the staff down, Bruce down, you down, anyone else. And and maybe just as importantly, if not more importantly, I feel like I've let the people of Clear Creek down. So uh, I, I try not to do that. So those are the things that bother me and get under my skin and uh, make sure I don't want to do those again. Hmm. It's turned out to be a way more serious conversation, but that's yeah. that's just kind of how that is. Well, the next question kind of goes along with it, but if, oh, you could, no. if you could be anything else other than a pastor, and not that you should go do something else. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. So <laughs> yes, I, I know how that, that so, first of all, that question wasn't even on the list, and you just added it. <laughs> it was on the list. Uh, if you could be anything else, what would you be? <clears throat> You said uh, originally it was like this and not a barbecue yeah, restaurateur. Well, yeah, I took that part off because maybe you do want to be a barbecue restaurant. You know, I, I would. I think I would like to do some of that stuff. I tell you, so we had this question. I was at a dinner party one time and someone asked this. And um, my response was and is, I think I would like to be uh, like some kind of professor of Texas history uh, that could also do archaeological work at Texas sites. That's that to me would be like, I think there's a lot of things I'd like to do. That's one of them. So I'm very passionate about Texas. Uh, I'm very passionate about Texas history, so much so that I'm, I'm a member of a group called the Sons of the Republic of Texas, which uh, is a organization of men who can trace their uh, lineal descent, which means it's they got a great, great, great grandfather and grandmother somewhere, some, some great, mine's my fifth great grandfather. Um, uh, they, they can trace a great grandfather or grandmother who who lived during the Republic years when Texas was its nation between 1836 and really right at the edge of 1846. And so uh, that stuff I love. I'm reading a book right now from a military strategist on Texas battles. Um, I mean, I just love that stuff. I've loved it ever since I had to take it in a mandatory. I mean, every every Texan has to take Texas history. I uh, think for me, I think it's now, it was, I think it's still the same as seventh grades when I had to take it. I think it's, that's the same for everybody else. And for some reason when I took it, I loved it. Um, so I'm a, uh, eighth generation Texan, uh, native Texan and my history goes back long in Houston. So that's like 10 generations. Ultimately, if I can count them all back eight, uh, six or seven of those have been just in Houston. So I got a street named after one of my ancestors. My mom was born in Houston, lived in an old home that they don't even have anymore. It's been around, you know, from the 1800s. So um, I think about all that stuff. And if I could do it all over again and God did not call me into the role that I have, um, I think I could, I think I would love to teach Texas history, but probably more so I'd love to go out and just do archaeological work for, because there's a lot of stuff around Texas that has not been, you know, I met with a guy the other day who's written a couple of books on Texas history, and uh, he's a, I believe he's a, not a dentist. I believe he's a doctor, but he's he's a archaeologist, kind of just for fun. I can't remember the the, the term all of a sudden, but I met with him, and uh, I mean we're not talking ten years ago. We're talking probably less than ten years ago. He got he went up to San, he just went up here to Laporte to San Jacinto. And uh, he, he's done a lot of research. He's like, there's a whole section of the San Jacinto Battleground, which everyone knows about around here, that uh, has not been really uh, excavated very well. And so he got permission because he's got a little bit of clout since he's written some books and he's done some things with the state. And uh, he's like, yeah, there's a whole 
there's a whole mess of cannonballs and bayonets and rifles that should be lying around in a stack somewhere on this side. And and so he just goes over there and, and this property now is owned by um, one of the big energy companies. I don't know which one it is. And he just asked for permission. Hey, it's adjacent to the San Jacinto battleground. We think that uh, Almonte, I think was the Mexican commander. I could be wrong, but like we think that he made his men drop all this stuff around here and we think it's just laying around on the ground. Can we just dig around please? And there's like, yep. And so they dig around. We're not even talking around six inches in the dirt, and they find all these cannonballs and all these rifles and all these bayonets. And it's not even 10 years ago. So that, that stuff fascinates me. I don't even know why. I just think it's fascinating. And so... Um, you know, this is going to be a podcast where people listen and like, I don't, this, that's so boring. Not to me. That's the <laughs> stuff I love. And so I, I dig all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I, I, he, he told me, he's like, next time I go out, uh, Yancey, um, would you want to go do that with me? I'm like, absolutely. I'll take, it'll be vac- I'll take vacation time to do it. I said, I don't even have a metal detector because I have one. You can, you can come do stuff. I mean, he, he's dug stuff out of rivers, cannons, and all. it was just amazing to me. This stuff's just lying around. And, and so I'm kind of a history buff anyhow. Texas history is my favorite stuff. And so that's what I would do. There's your answer. I would be a um, Texas history professor at some sweet college like Baylor University. By the way, oldest university in Texas, founded during the Republic. Thank you very much. And then I would just like to go dig stuff up. What would you want to do? Would you... Uh, this your, isn't about me. Okay, well, this I'm just curious what me. your dream job would be, but... No, we'd, we'll, we'll do an, an episode where we just talk about me later. Okay, okay. <laughs> you can tell how much I like this, because yeah. I'd rather have you in this conversation. Yeah. Go ahead. What's your favorite meal? Oh, I like a lot of things. I would just say generally my favorite meal is going to come out of two categories. It's going to come out of Tex-Mex or it's going to come out of barbecue. And I'm not going to be upset with either one of those. Fajitas is never a bad decision. Brisket, never. Well, you know, brisket's a, you know, you, you smoke barbecue. So do I. We actually have the same smoker. So um, I'm always up for a good barbecue. Always. And that's, you know, and maybe my food choices denote how how much I love Texas. Those are really, you know, Tex-Mex is the only, uh, it really is our state uh, dish. I mean, it's, it's, it's uniquely Texan. Uh, you don't go to Mexico and eat Tex-Mex. I mean, you can, but it's not Tex-Mex. It's New Mexican. They use green chilies. They have this other stuff. You just go a little to our east. Uh, Louisiana's got its own Cajun cuisine. Uh, Texas has its, really has its own deal, and it's a fusion of, of uh, Anglo food, a fusion a- actually of uh, African-American slave uh, fare. Brisket comes from that. It was the poorest cut of meat, by the way. And so that, that came from, a, from really the slave tradition. And then, um, of course, Mexico had a huge influence on us since Texas was a part of Mexico for, for many years. So you see, this is how history comes into so you play. Go, you learn yeah, all this stuff. Every, so Every question and answer. But yeah, Tex-Mex, to Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex fajitas, uh, I'm never going to turn down. Probably uh, if I had to buy what kind of Tex-Mex, it's going to be uh, steak, steak fajitas. And there's a billion places. Houston, we have an embarrassment of riches at great places to eat, just like you know, what's your, I can ask you one question. What's your favorite Tex-Mex place around here? Around here? And I'm, I'm, we're talking, I'm, you know, Webster, just where you can drive yeah, within yeah. In 10 minutes. I mean, we, the places we frequent the most are Papacitos, Lupe Tortillas, and Red River Cantina. Okay. So, so I, I would, I, I don't want to name one out of those three, but those are the three we go to. So I would say Lupe Tortilla, Papacitos, El Tiempo, and closer to home, Red River. Those, yep. 
that's crazy. And they're not, I mean, four really great places. And I know that our listeners probably could list their own that it didn't take us 20 minutes to get there. You know, it takes less than that. So we just live in a great place for great Tex-Mex and, uh, and there are other cheaper places to go. Like I kind of dig India Bonita before it kind of got hit. I know they're going to start back up again, but that's good. If you want really more, kind of more authentic on the Mexican side, like I walked in there and I had to speak Spanish to order my food half the time. So uh, I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, those are my favorite things to, to eat. All right. So we likewise have great barbecue. By the way, by the way, thanks for responding to at least giving some answers. So it doesn't feel like I'm the only yeah. guy talking on this yeah, day. Okay. Of course. All right, so we've got a lot of great barbecue restaurants around here, but if someone was going to get in their car and go outside of our immediate area, whether that's Houston or even beyond there, yeah. uh, and do a barbecue road trip, where would you tell them to go? Which is, by the way, really funny that like in Texas, like barbecue road trips, they are a thing. Like I, you know, yeah, I'd say the best place is Arrington Barbecue, but you got to find it. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, sorry, it's an inside joke. All right, so here's what I'd say: Houston has a really great barbecue scene. Uh, Austin kind of gets the nod for the best barbecue, but I'm not too sure that's true uh, based on all the stuff that I've been around and seen. So in Houston, I would say you got to hit the pit room. John Crump, by the way, our communications guy, uh, John Crump would know this more than anybody else. So maybe when you interview him uh, or if y'all see him, you need to ask him this. I'd say the pit room is probably my favorite around here. I think it's the best around here. It keeps going up on on uh, you know the list of best places to eat in Texas. So you have like the pit room. Of course, we have Killen's Barbecue in Pearland. We've got uh, Blood Brothers. Uh, I think they're off of Bel Air. They're somewhere close. Pinkerton's, my wife and I ate there. She would say they they got the best beef ribs around. Pinkerton's there in in the Heights area. So that's, that's you know, we have Truth Barbecue. That's that's Houston. And I know there's a lot more, so sorry if, if, if I didn't mention you here because those guys are never listening to this anyhow. <laughs> You, to, to make the pilgrimage, you got to go to Lexington and you got to eat at Snows. Mm. And I haven't done it yet. You got to have Tootsie Tomarins. I don't, I think that's her last name. Tootsie, she's like 86 years old and she's the queen of barbecue, man. I mean, people come from around the world to go eat, eat there and she's just in Lexington. So, but you got to get, the thing is just on Saturdays and some of our people from our church have gone. I, I've yet to do that. So I'd say you got to hit Lexington's, at, you know, snow at Lexington. And uh, of course you're in Austin. There's great ones. There's there's the Godfather. There's Aaron Franklin, which I've eaten there. Uh, there's uh, L.A. or La Barbecue, however you say it. There's um, Valentina's. There there's just a ton of them. Uh, here's the beautiful thing about about living in Texas. You can always find really great, great, great barbecue. And I, I know the people at Red River Barbecue that I mean our locals. That's where we go here. I know you're talking about like outside of Red River. Where are the other places that you could go in Texas, in, in Houston, and the surrounding areas? Those are some of the places to go to. I mean, you got Kreitz Market. You have Lockhart that area. You have uh, Mueller Barbecue. Those are the best places to go. And if you really just want a good cheat sheet, go to TexasMonthly.com. Go to their top fifty list with Daniel Vaughn who wrote it, and uh, you can find some some great things on that list. And I can guarantee you'll find some great barbecue. It's not on that list. Yeah. And some of the best barbecue stuff you make on your own, what briefly just lay out, what's your current method for smoking brisket? <laughs> I don't even know why this is on this, on this deal. Well, mainly because I'm sure you get asked it a lot. I do get and asked it a lot. So it's like that, that way you can just say, Hey, go listen to the Clear Creek resources podcast. I, I put it all out there. What, what Ryan is not telling you is how often I talk to him about this and that this is an ongoing conversation because I'm so, I'm a research hound. And so I, 
uh, anything that my wife would tell you, anything that I start to take an interest in, I have to learn everything about it or at least learn a lot about it. So uh, a, a little over a year ago, I bought a smoker and uh, actually with Ryan's help, Ryan was one of my researchers as well, his, did his own research. And so I've just fallen in love with barbecue and kind of the culture of it. So I've researched a lot, read a lot of books and talked to a lot of people and watch a lot of stuff. So uh, made a brisket this past weekend and uh, my brisket method changes all the time. So I'll just try to be brief so as not to bore everybody. But for me, it genuinely has a couple of phases in there. I want to, uh, you know, once you trim it and you should always trim your own meat, that sounds like a t-shirt you ought to wear. Trim your own yeah, trim your own meat, get it ready. Always buy like a full pack of brisket, buy good meat. You can't uh you can't really make something good out of that something bad. So you gotta start off with good meat. I trim it, give it a certain kind of a rub, pretty much salt and pepper, maybe a couple other things in there. And then I just put it on my smoker. So the first stage is put on your smoker so you can get some smoke on it because you're trying to get a bark. So let it ride. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take. This depends on how how hot you're smoking. If you're smoking at 225, you're going to wait six or seven hours. And once that bark gets set, I wrap. So that's my second phase. I just wrap it, wrap it in. People do like tin uh, foil. Sometimes they do full boats. Sometimes they don't wrap. It's called doing it naked. Doesn't sound right, but that's what they call it. Uh, I wrap mine in butcher paper and I wrap it until it, until it starts to get soft and pliable and that meat starts to give and then I'm I'm kind of you you want to get it probe tender so and I and you increase I, your temperature for the wrap yeah too, right? you're right I'm sorry I do I increase my temperature <laughs> you know my technique uh, so yeah start it off low and slow and then once I wrap it because it's not going to get any more smoke on it I I increase the temperature and uh, and then when it gets to like I know it's getting close to getting finished I, I like to taper off my temperature probably go back to that 225 230 because. Uh, Anytime you cook a piece of meat that that's that big and you cook it for that long, when you pull it off the smoker, it's going to have carryover cook. So I'm trying to reduce the length of time. Because once I know, like, oh, it's perfect. We got to pull this off now. It's probing like butter. Uh, I don't want it to... I don't want it to cook too much more after that. So what I do is I take it off. I put it... Wrap it with towels. I let it let it rest so those juices kind of go back into the meat. And then you get to eat one of the best things God ever put on the planet. Uh, especially if you're a Texan. That's just kind of one of the things that we have to check off on our native Texan or real Texan list is that you've had really good brisket. And so, yeah, you're right. You, you and I both, because you cook brisket as well, uh, or barbecue, I should say. Once you start doing your own, uh, probably you can say this about anything, people that fish a lot or whatever, you know, instead of going out to eat seafood, they probably do their own. I don't really eat a lot of barbecue that's not my own because uh, we, 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 we cook a lot. I've got three boys and a wife, and they all love it as well. So uh, that's that's my process for brisket. And just talking about it makes me think, oh, I might need to put another brisket on this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Well, maybe, all right, let's, let's move on then. Yeah. Tell, tell us about your family for people who don't know you. Yeah, man. So <clears throat> June the 1st, I will have been married 25 years to my wife, Jennifer. Yeah, congrats. That's I know awesome. it, man. Quarter century, right? So uh, Jennifer and I have three boys, Thatcher and Haddon and Beckett. Thatcher just turned 20 in April. Haddon is uh, finishing up his sophomore year at Clear Creek, and Beckett's finishing up his eighth grade year. And so, <clears throat> um, yep, just Arrington family, all boys. Um, and so that's that's my family. She, my wife is originally from Dallas. That's where I met her. And uh, I'm originally from West Texas. A lot of people already know that story. So I'm from Plainview. It's where I grew up. I was born in Lubbock. 
Bruce was from Plainview. We didn't know each other while we were there. We just providentially met each other through trying to, you know, he was planting this church and wanted a teaching pastor. So we just had a, a friend in common. My old college roommate, excuse me, seminary roommate, was one of the original or one of the first student pastors here at Clear Creek. And uh, when Bruce was saying, I want to create this position of teaching pastor, he's like, I know the guy you need to get. And I was the pastor of single adults in Dallas at the time uh, and was actually looking to plant. I was actually talking to some people and working some stuff out because I thought my time of being at the church I was at, the role I was at was, was up. And then Bruce called me and said, hey, what do you think about this teaching pastor thing? And I was like, ooh, man, get to teach the Bible verse by verse and and do it at a church that's just starting up. It's four and a half years old. Man, that sounds like something I'd like to at least look at. And so the rest is history. But that's my family. Just came down here with Jennifer uh, on our two-year, drove, I mean, literally on our two-year anniversary, we drove down here and um, and then uh, had our kids. They're all they're all League City originals, so we're all they're all they're all Houstonians. Yeah. So how did you meet Jennifer? Uh, I met her. So one of my best friends uh, married. So uh, married one of Jennifer's friends that she grew up with, and uh, I knew uh, my best friend and his wife. I knew from college, and so when I had graduated from college, I was going to seminary. I took them out to eat. Believe it or not, I didn't have any money, but I took them out to eat. They were up in Denton. I was living at that time in Fort Worth, but living uh, doing my church was in Dallas. And they said, "Oh man, there's this, you know, his this guy's wife. His name is Nan. Her name is Nan. It's Jeff and Nan. Sorry." And Nan said, "Hey, Yancy, I got this really good girlfriend I grew up with that has uh, recently graduated from the University of Texas. There you go, Ryan. There you go. Shout out and uh, hook him. And so she said, uh, she's just this really godly girl who did all these things, blah blah blah, while she was at UT. And she's a teacher now, lives in Garland, and I'd love to set you up with her. And I'm like, Nan, come on." I don't we I, we don't need these shenanigans. I don't need to I don't need to be set up on a date. It's okay. It's all right. I'm, I'm I just trust God with this whole thing anyhow. And so, um, well, Jennifer actually uh, because she lived in the area wanted to find a church home since she'd moved back to Dallas from the Austin area and uh, came to the church that I was at. I actually happened to come to a Bible study that I was leading. There was about seventy some people in the room. And she came up to me before the, uh, before the study started and she's like, hey, we have a friend in common, Nan. And all of a sudden it clicked in me, it clicked in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, this was the girl that they wanted to set me up with. She's so pretty and I should have gone out with her. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we just started a friendship there. Uh, and the short of it was uh, we started to date thereafter, not too long afterwards and dated for, you know, dated. And I knew immediately, I mean, I, I mean, immediately when we, started to date that uh, that she was the one for me. I remember calling my dad, I called my parents, my dad picked up the phone and he's like, you know, I told her I met this girl named Jennifer Lang and, and he goes like, you know, what do you think? I'm like, it's over, dad, it's done. Just, you know, mark it, put it on the board. This is the one. You sure, son, you don't know her? They're like, don't need to. This is, I can just tell you, this is, she's the one. And um, I think 25 years later is kind of born that testimony. So uh, we got married shortly after. I say shortly. We actually had a long engagement. I I was a singles pastor. I told you. I tell everyone, listen, date forever, but have the shortest engagement possible. Because just for the temptation's sake, just just be wise. And ours was the opposite uh, because she she was a school teacher and she didn't want to have a wedding during a certain time. And it was just the worst. But uh, we decided to get married June 1. And I thought, great. It's a date I'll never forget. I mean, June 1st, that's pretty easy. It's like the start of the summer. So... But yep, that's how we met, man. That's how we met. 
So did. she still has family back in Dallas, and we go see them every once in a while. But uh, she has now lived. We 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 tell each other this because it's kind of hard to believe. We've now lived in Houston longer than we lived anywhere else. So we're 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 definitely Houstonians now. Yeah. Did you ever have to go back and tell Nan that she was right and you were wrong? You know what? We're still like super close, good friends. I mean, uh, her husband, Jeff, still one of my closest, you know, I, I hate to tell people I have a best friend because I, I just have close friends, but he would be considered my best friend. And um, yeah, no, uh, we all still get together. And um, in fact, his 50th birthday party was not too long ago. So we drove up there and spent time with him. And, and we still talk about like, you know, Yancey, you should have trusted me the first time. And I'm like, well, you know, I got around to it. I just needed to kind of maybe have to do it my way. And so, uh, or you should have shown me a picture. Then it could have been over. I should have trusted you early on. But no, it's, it's, uh, Jennifer's the greatest. And I, I could imagine life without her. Mm. All right. So you're well known for being a big reader. What's the best book you've ever read? So I'm going to tell you what this book is, and then I'm going to have to caveat this this like left and right. So my favorite book, and this is not, you know, if people went to my blog and my personal blog and saw like I list the books that I love. And so like in those books that I love, I love The Lord of the Rings uh, for children. It's The Chronicles of Narnia, which as an adult, I still, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Lonesome Dove is an all-time, right? And there's a ton of them I love. And I, you're right, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, book nerd. Uh, I'm a bibliophile is the, the technical term. And so Moby Dick, uh, the brothers Karamazov, infinite jest. Uh, I mean, even just recently, a friend of mine recommended East of Eden, never read it. And it's brilliant. So, you know, so with all that stuff, just so you know, it's, I'm trying to lay this out because I got it. So my favorite book of all time, and it's easily my favorite book of all time is Cormac McCarthy's blood Meridian the reason I hesitate or I want to say all these other books that I like as well is that blood Meridian is a complicated, dark macabre, maybe even violent graphic book. Um, that is absolutely brilliant. And it's, it's got a lot of references to literature. It's got references and allusions to Moby Dick and paradise lost Milton, I believe. And so, and it, it's esoteric. It's got a lot of, conversations about philosophy in it. And um, it's one of the few books where where I read it when I finished it, I didn't know what to do with it because it was, first of all, it's pretty shocking. The ending is, I won't give it away. And I, I don't think most people would like this book. Harold Bloom called it the best. Harold Bloom, who was one of the most famous literary critics, says that Blood Meridian is the greatest piece of literature in the 20th century. And I'm, I agree with him. Uh, and I'm not really much of an expert. I just read a lot. But um, it's a book that I, I read... Um, I, I probably read it every three years. I've read it five times over. Uh, last time I read it, I did what I did kind of a, a critical reading, which means I, I, I went page by page and, and took notes and researched different things because it's a the short of it is it's a uh, it's a piece of fiction, but it's more like historical fiction because it uses a real group of people who went through and, and, and did uh, they were Indian scalpers and they were lawless. And, and Lawless doesn't, that, that, I mean, that's scratching the surface, but it's so incredibly written, so depth, so deep philosophically. Um, and it's got some things to say, but it says them and it's kind of like an anti-Western uh, and, it's, and it's hard to read for a lot of, some people can't finish it because it's the graphic nature of it. But it, to me, there's a brilliance to it that uh, fortunately I haven't just seen that. I mean, there's people that, that do this for a living, like that's the greatest piece of literature in the 20th century. Uh, so it doesn't make me feel like I'm, I'm out here on a limb. But 
the reason I hesitate on it is because it's not like you're not going to see it at Mardell's. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not. It's a tough book to read. But uh, but Cormac McCarthy's my favorite author of all time. There's there's hardly anything he's ever written. I've I've read everything that he's written uh, from the Border Trilogy to the Road. Um, I mean, I, I Sutri. I mean, I love all of his stuff, and so I'm a huge fan. But uh, yeah, Blood Meridian by far. I just I know someone who's just recently finished it, and someone wants to talk to me about Blood Meridian. I can't stop talking, so I want to end this little section because I can I can do this all day. If you if you were just to see my book with my notes in it, it would look like I was researching a book in the Bible because I've got all these references to it. I've done the Yale study on it. I've done all kinds of stuff on it. So uh, I'm I'm geeky like that, but. Um, for the record, Blood Meridian, Cormac McCarthy is Yancey Arrington's favorite book of all time. I've been trying to find first editions uh, that I can afford. They run about four to $5,000. and uh, But every once in a while, you can find one for less than a grand. And you could turn around and sell it for five times its worth. I don't want to. I, there's a part of me that wants to go into some random bookstore like in Marfa, Texas, or somewhere in the middle of nowhere and find an original. Because I know what they look like and I know what they, what they, you know, what they would... Kind of, I know what they cost. I have a search for them all the time. So that's the kind of like the weird stuff that people don't know about their pastors. Like I'm this weird bibliophile that's still on the hunt for like a, a magic first edition of this deal that 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 I want to find it. But I wouldn't buy it just to buy. I want to find like the the white. It's kind of like a Moby Dick white whale. It's like I want to find the whale and get it. Uh, and so I always have my eyes open for that. So that that treasure hunting with Texas history. I mean, that's the kind of life I want to live. <laughs> All right, top five sports teams you cheer for. Oh, my word. I you don't have to give me a big explanation for each one of these and all the research you do for it. I told you. I, t- I told that's you. why I gave you top five. I didn't make I you know, choose I, one. That's why we should never done this interview because I can't uh, get so lost in the things that I like. Now, these are easy. So college, it's Baylor. It's where I went. I'm going to cheer for Baylor no what matter sport? what. Uh, anything. It's it's the college I went well, to. That's so. what I'm at. I want oh, to college know, like, football. It's Baylor. Okay. okay, college yeah. football, Baylor. Oh, yeah. College basketball, Baylor. College baseball baylor is that good enough so all right well, that, all right. well just we'll, let me we'll work just count through that this count one then okay we won't count three thank you the houston astros okay his favorite baseball favorite uh, pro baseball favorite soccer team is chelsea fc chelsea football club and that's i'm a huge fan and then um, um i grew up a dallas cowboy fan i can't help it I, that's who i grew up i was a you know doomsday defense 1970s or, or early 80s uh, uh, roger staubach's my it's still the greatest quarterback of all time in my head um but i also love the houston texans thankfully they're in the different division so i cheer for both of those so those are all my favorite teams favorite basketball team and i don't care much for nba but it was it's the san antonio spurs so i guess local stuff soccer would be the dynamo although whatever so those are my favorite teams those are the teams that that i cheer for and i think i got them all uh but yeah you'll always hear me repping the astros and saying something about chelsea and blah 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 and definitely baylor yeah. Is that good enough? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good enough. All right. Of all your hairstyles, you're known for having lots of different hairstyles. Which <laughs> one do so you cringe stupid. at when you uh, see pictures? I love them all, man. They're like my kids. Really? No, There's not, none, I'm just none that you cringe, have, cringe I, with. There's I, I, some that we probably all cringe at. Yeah, I know. You know what? I've, I don't know, Ryan. I've, I, I've had so many. I know I, it's kind of a, like a funny thing whenever we have like a 10-year anniversary or a 20-year anniversary where we put up all the hairstyles I've had. Here's the here's the just the honest truth. I don't know which one I have. I've had so many. I just get bored. I get bored. I'm not like some of our other staff people who'll go unnamed that have had the same hairstyle since junior high. I just kind of <laughs> like to have you know. 
I don't know, dude. I don't, I don't know. I, when I was in high school, uh, probably one, I don't know, uh, probably one, well, not probably one I'll never go back to again is when I, there was a time in the, in the mid to late eighties where at least in certain parts of the world, uh, there were thing called, there were things called rat tails. You know what a rat tail oh, is? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, so I had one. Was uh, it braided or just? No, it was okay. not braided. I had one and, uh, and then I kept growing my hair out and it hit, but I kept the rat tail. I mean, I don't even know why. What's funny is that I actually had a girlfriend. I don't even know why she would stay with me once I looked like that. But at the time there were just, you know, everyone has weird things that they do. That was also the years of the mullet and all these other kinds of things. And mullets are kind of coming back, but that's, that's one I would, I would just let go. The funny thing about this was, is that my, I have two younger brothers, my middle brother, Jody and I are not even a year apart. We're 10 and a half months apart. Kind of like, you know, what they call them Irish twins. And he always felt, he always had an argument with me and my dad because he, he always felt like my dad favored me and not him. It's, it wasn't true, but that's just how, I don't know if that's how middle brothers see things. That's just how he saw it. But there was some evidence in his favor that I would, I could cut my hair however I wanted to. And my dad would get mad at me, uh, but he'd let me do it. And, but he would not let Jody do all kinds of things. And Jody would want to do all, I, I just remember one time Jody got a haircut and it was kind of like a mullet, but they shaved the sides of his head and they, they really didn't mean to, but they did. And my dad just about wanted to kill him. And his argument was, but dad, you let Yancey have a rat tail. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Point well, point. Good job, Jody. That's, I give you that one. So um, that's one I wouldn't want probably to have back. But the other ones, hey man, that's just like anything else. It's just a part of, part of just uh, me being bored and wanting to do other things. If you can go anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh gosh. Um, I, I don't, I think that's a hard question. I think I could go to a lot. There's places I don't care to go for, go to, and there's a lot of places I would love to go to. So one of the places I would love to go to, and I wanted to do this over my sabbatical. It just wasn't in the cards is, uh, I want to go to Spain and I want to do the, uh, what is known, uh, as the Santiago de Compostela or the Camino de Santiago. I think that's how they say that in Spanish. It's basically the road of St. James. So it's a pilgrimage. It's been, it's been there for centuries. What you do is you start in the very south of France in the Pyrenees. I mean, just right across the border, right over the border in France. And you just walk. And I think you walk for 500 miles. Uh, you, you walk from one side of Spain to the other side of Spain. It's only on the northern coast because you're going through like uh, Santander, we're going to Oviedo, you're going to, all the way to Compostela uh, de Santiago, which has a church at the end of it that, uh, you know, is rumored at rumors, probably not. It's tradition holds that it, it has the bones of St. James, St. James the Greater. Uh, so if you guys, in a little your Bible history, James, there are a lot of Jameses in the Bible. James the Lesser is Jesus's brother, at least known as Jesus's half-brother. James the Greater, he's the one who uh, was with John that was arguing, at least his mom was, who can sit at you know, your right hand. And uh, James is, uh, he was, uh, I think he was beheaded or put to death by the sword in Jerusalem. And tradition holds that his bones were taken to uh, Iberian Peninsula, Spain, because that's where he preached, they believed. And so for centuries, Christian pilgrims have done the uh, what's known as the Camino, the road, and they walk it. And so uh, it takes about 30 days and you just stay in little hostels the whole time. And uh, that's something I want to do. And uh, I wanted to do it for my, as I said, for my sabbatical. But, you know, 30 days is a long time. But 
it wasn't the amount of time. I had the time. It's just, it costs a little bit to, to do it. So hmm. I, if I ever get to do it, I want to take a, a, a friend of mine or two and just to do it. And uh, I'm not trying to Jesus juke anybody by saying, yeah, like I'd like to go somewhere and be super spiritual, but that would be a, that would be a, a pilgrimage for me that I'd like to take. And uh, plus I love Spanish culture. I love Latin American culture. I like, um, I mean, I, I taught myself Spanish cause I liked all that stuff. And plus we live in Texas. Plus my wife speaks Spanish. Plus her family has some Spanish speakers in it. And, and, uh, when I say I taught myself Spanish, I'm not fluent, but I can, I can get around if I needed to. I just, I, I like the thought of having a bunch of buds plopping us in the Pyrenees and we just backpack together for 30 days. Uh, and I think we would, I think it would impact me spiritually. It definitely would impact me with my relationships with my friends and just to be somewhere beautiful, you know, uh, in a different place, in a different country that speaks a different language. To me, there's something maybe even romantic about that. And, uh, and I mean, romantic in the, in the, in the literary sense, it's kind of like this fun place to be. That's, that's meaningful. So that's, um, that's what I would, that's one place I'd like to go. Well, a lot of other places I'd like to go, but that's one of them. Hmm. All right. So I've heard statistics that say pastors stay at a church on average of four years. I've heard also five, six, a lot, you know, a lot of different statistics out there. Basically, you know, a lot of times pastors don't stick around very long and it may be some things that you've alluded to earlier on with just the, the pressure and all that. Uh, why have you stayed at Clear Creek for 23 years now? Well, uh, you know, when Bruce first interviewed me, uh, I remember I was being at the South Shore Harbor Hotel. So here I am, this 26 year old kid, young man, not really a kid, a young man. And Bruce is like, Yancey, do you think you could stay here for the rest of your life? And I'm like, uh, why would you ask that question? You're asking me if I'm a lifer and I haven't even worked one day for you guys or with you guys. But I so really deeply appreciated the question because I was like, he just wants guys here for the duration. It's not a ladder to step up and go do something else. And, um, and I told him this, I said, Bruce, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I just know this, that if I feel like my redemptive potential is being maximized and I get to use my gifts and my skill sets and my abilities in a way that's, that flourishes, then I don't know why I would want to go. And, and that's, that's, that answer still holds true today. I mean, most of our guys have, you know, other churches inquire about if we'd like to leave. That's surely been true for, for me. And I know it's been true for a bunch of other guys because of the roles that we have and the positions that, that people see us at. And, and uh, while I'm, I'm flattered by those requests, the reason I've stayed here is because I feel like I'm maximizing my redemptive potential. I feel like I'm using, getting to use my gifts in a way that, that helps uh, not just me flourish, but the church flourish. And to top it all off, it's because I get to do life with guys like you. And um, you, know, you and Bruce and Mark and Aaron and Lance and Carl and, you know, uh, and even our greater staff. You, know, you have Denise and... You know, the, just the list goes on and on and on and on. I mean, the fact that we get to work with, and, and I'll just speak for me, that I get to work with such an incredible staff because I get to go around and speak at different places and I see a lot of different church staffs and I don't know if I've ever seen a church staff that is not perfect, but, is, but has been generally as healthy and as Christ-centered and loves each other as much as the staff that I've gotten to be a part of. And, um, and, uh, Bruce is a phenomenal leader in that one of the ways he's a phenomenal leader is that he's kind of like the point guard in a basketball team. Uh, he doesn't care about having to score every point. He just wants to put the ball on the guy who's got the hot hand at the hot position. So, you know, 
Uh, if Chris is one of our best guys at training leaders, he ought to be the leadership pastor. If Ryan's the best at doing this at campus level, he ought to be a campus pastor, amongst other things. If Mark's the best at this, let Mark do that. That, that Bruce isn't taking all the glory. He's just rather letting guys flourish where they're, where they're best wired. And I think he's done that with me um, so and with everybody else, including me, I should say. So that's why I've, I've wanted to stay here. And ultimately, ultimately, that's the Lord's call. And so I've just never felt the Lord pull, pull me or my wife away to other places. Um, you know, Mark Carden told me a long time ago, he said, Yancey, you can always entertain invitations and then you can always then turn down offers like to finally leave. And I've, I've, I've had a lot of, you know, it sounds self-serving. I've just had, I've had, a, I've had invitations over the years and there've been some really great churches and I'm grateful for, 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 for people to, to, to talk to me about things. But when it comes to the offer, it's like, no, man, I, I love Clear Creek. Um, and for all the reasons I've just enumerated, and there's, there's a ton more. I love the people of Clear Creek. Um, I, I love to, I told you that my favorite, my greatest joy as a pastor is to see people grow in Jesus. And um, there's something to be said about being at a place a quarter century. So you really have real roots. Like I've seen uh, people come to Jesus. I mean, here, here's a perspective. My wife discipled your wife when your wife was in high school, mm-hmm. right? And so... Now, my wife gets to be a part of helping disciple, when she was in the children's ministry, getting to help disciple your kids. So we're talking, and, and, and we knew your wife's mom that we, so that's three generations right there. And so a lot of pastors, I don't know if the average age is three to four years, they, they're not even around for barely a generation. Uh, I've seen three to four generations of people come through here that we've got to see people um, you know, grow in Jesus and you, you can't do that if you're just going to be like a water bug jumping from one lily pad to another. I, that doesn't appeal to me. So uh, it's all those things. But, you know, uh, having a senior leader in Bruce that's so good at what he does and let people just flourish and, and wants to see them flourish, you just don't find that a lot of places. And so that's that's probably one of the main reasons outside of the Lord himself um, that is that has allowed me to stay here. So, and, and the fact that people at Clear Creek put up with me, <laughs> I mean, mm. gosh, I feel like they love me enough. They put up with my idiosyncrasies, and so um, that that's one of the reasons I'm here. All right, last question for you: what's what is your hope for Clear Creek over the next five years or so? Man, my hope is that is that we continue to be a church for the unchurched, that we continue to be a church that really wants to disciple people. I mean, I, I want to be a church that I, I think in the next five years, potentially, maybe it's a longer window than five years. It's going to be really, I think there's probably going to be more pressure on gospel centered churches. I mean, I'm talking about historically Christian churches, churches that are Orthodox in their theology. It's just not going to be cool. I mean, it's, it's not now, but it's going to be a lot less, acceptable culturally to be a follower of Jesus that believes in biblical orthodoxy. And um, I want to be a church. My hope is, is that we're a church that stands out for all the right reasons that, that clear Creek's known as a church that doesn't bend to culture that just uh, that leans into Jesus because Jesus is her King and they're a part of her kingdom. And I want us to do, I just want us to shine for that. So I, I think as we, as North Americans, and we continue to move into a post-Christian world, uh, probably much more like Europe uh, is now, or at least Europe was years ago, if not now. I want Clear Creek to just keep the pedal to the metal and go, 
we're just going to follow Jesus. Uh, whether that brings us accolades or accusations, uh, we want to be winsome in how we love Jesus and how we share Jesus with the world. And we're going to be unapologetic about sharing Jesus with the world. And uh, that, that's, that's how I want to run. I want to run it and keep running hard. Uh, you know, 23 years I've been here, I want to be here another 30, you know, and I don't even know what that, what that number does to me. That put me at 80. Well, maybe not 30. Well, I, I just want to run out until uh, I can't run anymore, and I, I want to do that with Clear Creek. And so um, that's my hope for Clear Creek. And, and I think, uh, you know, some people are pessimistic, like, I don't know if there are any better days for the church in North America. I think our greatest days are before us. I really do, because now we'll find out the contenders from the pretenders, and I want Clear Creek to contend, 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 contend for the gospel from this point on, even more than we've ever done it, and just watch what Jesus does for his church. That's, that's my hope. Absolutely. All right, Yancey, thanks for being here. I know I know, I had to twist your arm a little bit to come and talk about yourself for a little bit. I hope but... we added a whole lot of this stuff out. No way. No way, man. We're going to keep it. So, hey, thank you for listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. Hopefully, this just gave you a little idea of what goes on in the head and the heart of Yancey Arrington. Uh, it is an interesting world. So, uh, I get to work with him on a daily basis. So, it's fun. I'm glad you got to know him a little bit more. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast wherever you listen. And uh, check out the Clear Creek Resources website. We can check out a whole bunch of different articles and videos, sermons, books that we have on there. Uh, But thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time.